Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Indian Not podcast where we interview some of India's next best analytical and creative minds who are not only revolutionizing their own field but at the same time transforming India's entrepreneurial ecosystem one step at a time. Our guest for the day is the founder and CEO of Bimape, a startup looking to penetrate deeper into the insurance space by focusing on helping customers make informed decisions related to their insurance. including managing their free insurance provided by debit cards and credit cards we have with us rahul mathur let us jump right into the conversation hi rahul i hope you're all settled in hey gautam thank you for having me i'm super excited for this one and let's get let's get this started absolutely absolutely so rahul i think the first thing i want to ask you is before we start discussing other things is what is bimapi exactly tell us about the ideology and the vision behind your startup Yeah, absolutely. So, Bimapay's mission is to simplify insurance for the Indian consumer. It sort of stems from a fact that even though I've worked in the insurance industry for four years now, understanding an insurance policy, going through a claims process, and deciding what product to buy has always been a fairly painful journey. And I was back home in India in the middle of COVID nineteen because of the pandemic. I had a chance to speak with. maybe a hundred or so friends of mine just to understand what their purchase experience was with insurance and that's really where our sort of mission came about and the way we execute on this mission is where right now helping you discover where you have insurance and you're not aware of it so whether it's your credit card your employee provident fund your savings bank account and a couple of other places but in the coming 3 to 6 months you're going to see us launch a couple of india stack powered integrations which help you automate and sort of execute on a personalized insurance purchase so our vision is to make insurance as easy and accessible as mutual funds are today via sip and a couple of other structures the so simplicity and awareness is probably what we're playing around with in the insurance industry that's amazing that's amazing and uh, i think i just want to jump on to what you said right now that you know insurance is a very complicated process right you know consumers generally purchase insurance when they're usually forced to you know because of some government regulation for example when it comes to auto insurance and you know the only time they interact with their insurance provider is when they're filing a claim you know which is usually a time of stress and pressure you know if someone has died someone is sick someone is facing some issue there's there's been some there's been some negative experience usually right So like you said you've talked to 100 folks right so what have been your key learning so far when it comes to how indians interact with insurance Yeah it's definitely a fascinating one and i'd say for most people they don't even interact with their insurance right because typically it's someone either at their bank or you know it's an an LIC agent who's come to their house and done <laughs> an emotional sales pitch it also really depends gotham on what your target user persona is right so for us it's that 25 to 40 year old urban working professional typically earning about 30 to 35000 rupees or more per month and this is actually the class of individual or not even class the, the type of individual who now has access to financial information at their fingertips so they're dabbling in the stock market potentially playing around in the mutual fund space and now this is the same person who's saying okay i've got control over my bank account over payments over credit cards over mutual funds and stocks this insurance space is still like a fair bit of a labyrinth absolutely i'm not right. sure whether i'm making the best purchase 
So what we actually see is, you know, okay, I can go online, I can read about all of these policies and everything else, but I still can't make sense of, is this term insurance thing right for me? And let's even begin with, I have no idea what my parents and I have. So what we actually see is insurance doesn't have to always be the push product that it's made out to be. And maybe we've got a bit of the COVID-19 tailwind as well. We're now up to about spoken to 3,500 customers, onboarded 3,500 users at sort of zero CAC so far. That may change in the future. But the one thing that we definitely see is just like how you have people who want to learn about the stock market, want to get the basics right, we're starting to see the same thing on the insurance front as well. So it's no longer buy and forget. Even the purchase process has become like a fairly informed one. And then customers are now asking midway through the policy, can I change my policy? Well, that's actually possible with new regulations in place. You can, you can also migrate your policy, right? Comes in, right? right. Yes, exactly. Policy. So you can migrate it. And in fact, migration is within the same company. So from one plan to another, you can now also port your product from one company to another company. And one of the things we're hoping to deliver over the next maybe 12 to 18 months is the same magic that you as a consumer may have seen with mobile number portability and bring that to health insurance, right? So you may have switched from a Vodafone or Airtel to a Geo, fairly streamlined 20 minute process. And that's the same sort of magical experience we'd hopefully bring in insurance as well. It's today like a 20 or 40 hour process. Hopefully we can bring that to about 20 minutes and maybe in the future, even 20 seconds, if you trust us enough, it's a fairly lofty goal, absolutely improvement. Let's see how how that comes but, along. But I think uh, what you have is the momentum in the form of inspiration and hope from other uh, sister sectors, right? I mean, like you mentioned, if you look at the mutual fund space, right? I think the innovation of SIP and how easy discount brokers have now made it for you to be able to access uh, SIP products and for as low as a hundred rupees, right? You can start an SIP or and which used to be a fairly complicated process. I think if we go back like six, seven years ago, fairly complicated process. No one could even imagine starting it, it as low as simple as that. Or, you know, if you look at even the payment space in general, you know how UPI has like, you know, early there used to be the dreadful process of going, registering a pay, waiting 30 minutes. And now it's a very fairly simple process and everything. And um, I think that's the kind of a revolution you'd want in the insurance space as well, right? Because surely um, insurtech startups are trying to do that, but still there is consumer, like, you know, there's that consumer trust is a pain point, right? Because which hasn't been fully accepted yet, fully accepted by the new age players. So I think that's the kind of hope and inspiration that's acting as a momentum, right? That if, if it could happen in sectors which were where, where it wasn't imagined, it can happen in insurance as well. Absolutely. But, right. I think I think one way to see it is there is there two tailwinds, right? Or maybe the tailwind has sort of two components. The the one is just like how payments, UPI, regulatory support, right? You're starting to see almost UPI-esque infrastructure emerge in insurance as well. So one of the examples is in the one of the precursors to letting you switch seamlessly from one product to another is to have different insurance companies actually agree on a definition of a condition. And I'm not even kidding, right? Up until a year ago, different insurance companies defined cancer differently. And this really sounds crazy, right? And I say this- It does, it does. But what we we finally have 
is a dictionary provided by the regulator saying here's how we're going to treat different conditions etc etc and for a company like us that's trying to build on top of that dictionary that lets us build almost like a hypertext markup language and html for insurance and that html for insurance lets us build the consumer tech product on top of which you can deliver that cracker user experience of going you know three clicks from one provider to another and i'd say another thing is many people are actually not aware of the fact that up until a few months ago for a for a standard you know off the counter insurance product which you or your parents may have purchased you had to make an annual upfront payment for it it sounds absolutely. crazy right so you, absolutely you couldn't have done a monthly payment for a health insurance product which you bought off the counter up until i'd say june of of 2020 and just like how sip you know let you make that that cut from your salary so you feel less emotional strain with money right. going out of your paycheck that's hopefully going to be one of the innovations that sort of comes out from the insurance industry where we let you bundle your insurance products together and and maybe maybe what I'm saying nice one a nice segue for me to tell you what our vision is right as a company mm-hmm. so so if i if i let you pause there for a second right If you do an SIP in the mutual funds today, what the SIP represents to you is a subscription to the financial markets, and depending on your risk, you know your risk tolerance that gets allocated between debt, equity, maybe some other form of exotic assets. Absolutely, I don't know how how wild you are, but insurance. <laughs> I find it very very strange. <laughs> that there is a home insurance there's a car insurance there's a health insurance there's a life insurance but from a jobs to be done lens what gotham is subscribing to insurance for is protection and it's protection against any adverse event so it's very odd that we force you to make an individual decision but don't try to bundle all of these products under Absolutely. one umbrella Absolutely. and then give you a payment plan or some form of personalized payment structure right i guess where we really want to go is to make i wouldn't say a subscription for insurance but something fairly similar because when you subscribe to savings or mutual funds what that lets you do is start to project out your financial upside but many people actually think of insurance as an expense what insurance actually does is controls the spread of your financial outcomes Absolutely. so mutual funds may help you get here but if some shit happens to you insurance it acts as a floor here, it acts as a floor exactly exactly yeah. so if you would like the lens we're taking if you would like build an elevator we would like build an elevator pitch for bima pay we would we for the subscription model which you just described we say you're trying to build an, an amazon prime right an amazon prime for insurance right one prime subscription yeah. for everything there is <laughs> right pretty much I, i think it's a fantastic way to see it right and this also is a good moment to remember amazon in india is actually in insurance amazon oh. pay does let you purchase insurance oh, products right, as a prime right. subscriber <laughs> so like quick fyi if you're buying motor insurance amazon pay amazon prime may be the best place for you to get it because uh, right. we actually ended up getting our motor insurance for free because we're a prime <laughs> subscriber 
this yeah, is I, 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 I never thought uh, I, I honestly look at my Prime subscription only for Prime Video, but I, insurance was something yeah. that never came to mind. <laughs> I'll definitely, definitely exactly. have a look. Right. But you know, and let's... It's the power of bundling, right? It's, it's 100% the power of bundling, right? You, 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 if you push enough products together at scale, understand your user segment them well enough, you've built a fantastic business. I think Absolutely. Amazon is gold standard there. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. You know, uh, let's talk about the insurance sector a bit more. You know, that I mean, of course, there's a huge opportunity of the sorts, you know, because I think there was a statistic I was reading that as of 2019, India's insurance penetration is quite low. You know, 3.5% is the number I believe we're looking at. And, uh, you know, so that that really equates into huge opportunity. But, you know, another aspect that comes into the picture is the regulatory constraint, you know, that insurance is heavily regulated. I mean, I think every day, every other day in the news, we read about some some insurance broker or some insurance company being fined by the IRDII for some reason or the other, you know. And, uh, you know, so because these constraints are there, and, and I think there's only one primary source of revenue in insurance, right, which is your which is your premium. And, you know, that is split between all value providers, whether it's a broker, it's a reinsurance, it's customer service, claims processing, whatever, whatnot. Everything comes from a premium, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, you know, given these constraints in the picture that, you know, the, the, the addition of additional value providers is essentially splitting the margins much more and, you know, Given the regulatory constraints in the form of IRDI, what opportunities do you see in this space in general? Yeah, it's definitely a, I think it's a very valid point, right? The the only other place in insurance where you can make money is on the investment income side. So insurance companies take money from you at the start Absolutely. of the year, pay out claims over the course of the year. I'd say. In India, most companies, especially those that are operating heavily in the motor insurance space, make no money from actually selling you the policy. Any money they make, assuming they even do, probably comes on the investment side. So that's the whole Warren Buffett float concept, except that it probably doesn't work out as well for these guys. That bases their financial statements. And the, the crazy thing is, I'd say the opportunity in insurance in India of course, getting distribution right, you mentioned penetration is low, about 4% of GDP is probably the, the ceiling. Absolutely. I guess the more informative one, there's something called a protection gap. And the protection gap in India for an average person is about 93%, which means right. if an average Indian household lost their primary earning member today, they would only be able to meet seven rupees out of every hundred rupees of future expenses they see until they get their next primary earning member. So that's probably, it probably helps you put that into more perspective, right? Because premium as a percentage of GDP is a fairly like... Yeah, absolutely. It's a a very macro number which doesn't really reflect the actual reality. You're you're absolutely right over here. That 93% with 7 rupees per 100, that that really hits home. Oh, that and, makes sense. And, and in case you're wondering, I'm not the genius who came up with that. There's Swizzry, the reinsurer who does right, all of that right, research. Right. But I think when I look at insurance, right, every part of that value chain can become a whole lot better, right? So I won't comment on the insurance companies on the investment side because I think they're doing really well there. That's more of a capital market style play. 
where I think a lot of innovation can take place and actually is taking place right now is on the claims side. So if any of you have actually ever filed an insurance claim, Gautam, I don't know whether you have, I have, there's a ton of paperwork. There is, there's actually an intermediary that sits between the hospital, the insurance company, and wherever you fit in that equation. And uh, that intermediary is called a third-party claims administrator. You can almost think of this as a a 1990s style BPO where the guys are writing stuff down (laughs) and then deciding whether to make a claim or not. Right. A lot of automation can take place there. And there actually are companies that are trying to solve for that. There's startups like Bima Garage, Claims Buddy, Saw Claim, that list really sort of goes on. That's probably a place where you could save maybe 5% on the overall cost, which is fairly material, right? Because many people actually, you know, to your point, think about insurance as an expense. So in economics, there's this concept of price elasticity of demand. Absolutely. And insurance is probably one of the products that has a very high price elasticity. So if the price drops by a bit, the demand potentially will shoot up much more. So, you know, that's actually quite surprising uh, given how I've always assumed insurance to be a necessity of the sorts, right? So I would always, one would always assume that the price is highly inelastic in nature, right? You know, because it's a necessity and some people really want that security and that that uh, that what's the the parachute of the sorts right for the safety net for their family so they, it would always act as a necessity and not a and highly elastic thing like you were saying yeah it's a it's definitely a valid point and it also boils down to what the persona is that we're describing here right so that the general indian populace has like a price elasticity of greater than one right which means if the price shoots up a fair bit they will run away from it but People like you and I may absorb like a 20 to even a 40% increase before making that uh, sort of life choice of whether you want to go down with it or not. And uh, at like a at like a macro level, right? So if you're trying to convince this uh, person who's earning like 10,000 a month to part with, you know, 100 rupees for a really basic accident and critical illness cover, if it suddenly becomes like 150 rupees, which it could now with new regulations in which affects the scope of cover, it could be a decision between do I want to continue with this, do I not want to. And that's probably where even at a macro perspective, right, getting those efficiencies out 5% on the claim side, I'd say even, even on internal processes in the insurance companies, right, a significant part of it is still done manually they're not moving to the cloud because of all these sunk costs on their legacy infrastructure. And that really does start to take a toll right after a point. You're maybe spending 60% of your IT budget on keeping the lights on in a server somewhere. And the same problems you, you may hear from all of the neo banking guys about the banks. You can probably. So I was, I was about to. I was absolutely. Mention, I was about to mention this only that you know how in neo banking in India, so because of the RBI, it's not fully allowed to hundred percent own your digital bank, right? So Indian neo banks are basically what they're doing is that they're distributing and basically offering the services of a partner traditional bank, right? Which actually has that infrastructure, like those shackles, right, of the sorts, the old infrastructure, legacy infrastructure shackles, they're having that physical presence, right? So uh, I think that's exactly what I want to talk to you about now. That let's talk about innovation in the insurance space in India, right? So 
you know, technically the current insurtech space in India is being dominated by aggregator platforms such as Policy Bazaar, right? And I think I read this statistic somewhere that Policy Bazaar makes up to 20% of the country's overall life insurance cover and has, I think, 150 million visitors annually, right? And uh, besides this, we're also seeing the rise of sachet insurance and embedded insurance, you know, with the likes of Aqua collaborating with Ola. So, you know, that will be an embedded uh, example, right? Or even recently, you know, with Plum Health in, uh, collab- Plum Health collaborating with Razorpay by offering uh, group cover uh, programs to, what do we say, to folks who use the payroll processing software from Razorpay, right? Often. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of in- innovation in this space. We're seeing a lot of, uh, how do I put this, you know, just that the the people are soon realizing that the problems which people face traditionally with the banking sector, why they can't innovate in the banking sector, they're, they're seeing that over here as well, right? But what comes in, in this picture is the regulatory aspect as well, right? Because in India, if you want to start something in the insurance space, you need to be registered with the IIDI in one form or the other. Although a lot of startups are doing that uh, like without regulation, like, like they will face the scrutiny one day or the other. But, you know... It, they usually require that, you know, whether you become a web aggregator or whether you become a corporate broker or whether you become a, or, a, you know, something as simple as a corporate agent or a broker or something like that, right? So, uh, you know, what what kind of innovations do you see in this sector going forward? The sorts? Yeah, it's definitely a fantastic question. And, and one which I think is probably going to explode in the next year or so is embedded insurance, which you mentioned is this concept of insurance being a feature in an overall offering and Absolutely. not like a standalone product. And you know, at the same time, you're seeing like that embedded credit or embedded lending with companies like Rupify. You're also starting to Absolutely. see embedded insurance. We've, we've, had, we've had Rupify on our yeah. podcast before. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's the same idea there, right? And I think the the interesting thing there is more around how does a player like an Echo use their license where they can hold risk on their balance sheet to build a product which is tailored to the channel, right? Because what you typically see in insurance, Gautam, is someone says, okay, sachet product, let's just take the shampoo bottle let's cut it into 20 pieces or the same damn shampoo in the sachet and go sell it, right? Absolutely. Probably isn't going to work with insurance as well. You know, they're trying some stuff like pulling individual components from a health insurance policy as a separate product. I've been told it isn't sticking along very well. But let's see, right? It's not an easy thing to crack because the biggest challenge in insurance versus lending is in lending, if it's embedded well, someone's giving you something before they take something from you. So it's a very tempting and exciting Absolutely. thing and it will be large adoption. Whereas in insurance, right, it's not even as bad as me saying, uh, give me something and I'll then give you something back. It's me saying, Gotham, give me something. Keep giving, me. Keep giving me. If something <laughs> happens, I'll pay you. But, but pay guess you. what? I will pay you only if this happens, if this happens, well, I'm not going to pay you. you and and by the way, when I when I pay you, I'm also going to take 20% of that back. <laughs> by the end of it, you know, the, the poor farmer there is like, then why am I even taking this from you? <laughs> and and this is what happens, right? So the the whole embedded lending in you know the whole agri ecosystem in the neo banking ecosystem is a massive hit, right? Because you're giving the customer immediate gratification. They're getting something with low downside. 
in insurance you you're asking someone to part with money and you're asking them to part with money under the pretext of you potentially paying them in the future so it's it's a slightly harder game to play which is why it takes time to build not only a brand name right but also build uh, the right sort of plumbing to support you know distributing the right products absolutely but i think you you will see a fair bit happen in embedded insurance you know you can see it even with players like the npci which manages the rupay rails and the fact that they are also distributing insurance which just shows you how everyone in the country wants to sell you insurance right so it's it's an exciting time to be in every, the market right? every company will be a fintech company right i think that's how a16z puts it right <laughs> that, that's yeah. probably what will happen angela strange is spot on there right and Absolutely. maybe just moving beyond like the fintech side right? i think five years from today we revisit this every every aggregator of 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 demand right so whether it's a cred whether it's a at a swiggy a zomato or something even potentially a shield they have their own neo bank they may have their own uh, you know insurance uh, brokerage setup because that's what happened in in china as well mm-hmm. right so even the big tech companies like a tencent have their own insurance brokerage their own mutual fund setup but i think i think that's something that absolutely makes sense right you've amassed an audience you've amassed a loyal following you've amassed so much data right you have so many data points related to a single person whether how regularly they interact with your platform and how regularly they make purchases right for someone like an amazon or someone like even say cred right you know how regularly they are paying their bills right when you have that audience you have that data point you have those data points right it makes sense to monetize on those folks in each and every way possible right and i think this is something that this is a kind of a conversation i had with sairi chahal as well on our platform where she also mentioned that in the future they want to offer finance financial services and financial products to their to their users of shiro right so it makes sense to monetize on your audience in uh, when you have those reliable data points and you have that reliable information right and you can look at your consumer behavior and you can see exactly what fits in where so i think i think that's great you know and uh, you know this really reflects back to another conversation and uh, we'll be releasing that episode probably after this one and that's uh, with sahil kini from setu right So Setu is also building financial infrastructure products, right? So absolutely, I think I think embedded embedded finance, embedded insurance, embedded lending. I think this is the future. Embedded is the future. Sashay might not be possible, but embedded surely is the future of the sorts. Yeah, absolutely, definitely right. I think at the end of the day, a lot of finance is is about trust, and even if you're giving someone cash upfront, or in the case of banking and insurance, maybe not lending. it's a 100% business of trust right if you if you're parking money with someone in a in a fixed deposit well the idea is bank should give you security do you trust the platform you're banking with hopefully you do and and i think that there's a lot of work to be done there you know whether it's players like setu doing the whatsapp api banking we now know for a fact whatsapp is getting into insurance distribution Absolutely. they literally have the best sort of platform to do something like that and your point right you've already sunk the cac to get the user on the platform you might as well now grow the lt absolutely <laughs> right right that definitely makes sense but i i sure do hope you know what happened to whatsapp when it comes to upi right whether what what can be considered 2.5 years of a regulatory hell of the sorts 
for those guys i sure do hope that doesn't happen like you know that story doesn't repeat itself when it comes to insurance because i think uh, i think it's funny i saw this tweet in the morning only where someone was saying at the beginning of 2020 that mark my words whatsapp will be the whatsapp uh, upi and whatsapp will be the biggest thing and you know we'll see them overtake phone pay and google pay by the end of 2020 and here we are 2021 and you know they've now been allowed to launch upi in a very graded manner you know so it's it's actually you know i surely do hope the same thing does happen when it comes to insurance yeah yeah it's uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting one and the whole antitrust thing whether it's whatsapp whether it's jio whether it's google i think everyone's been pulled up for one thing or the other and it'll be interesting to see right because uh, on the one hand something like a whatsapp allowing full fledged integrations of banking and insurance is probably exactly what we need to turbocharge maybe not just financial inclusion but also financial awareness absolutely if that gets blocked by the regulator yes it probably does let a couple of indian companies you know break out and become successful but there's a question about at what cost does that happen to the average consumer right absolutely are you are you hindering the are you hindering the growth in general of the entire ecosystem for the sake of limiting the you know the dominance of one company it's it's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty it's it's i think a very traditional antitrust problem right that you know from the consumer's perspective in the short run anti monopoly or dominance really helps them out right you know if amazon is entering a space and they're pushing out all competitors they they're using doing that using a price advantage right so in the short run it really helps the consumer but in the long run are we will we see ramifications of this you know for example if something like a whatsapp uh, whatsapp's upi were to go down you know if there's a system outage or something like that or if in something like that and suddenly the entire ecosystem is being hit right majorly yeah. and i think i think that's something that happened right i mean in a very indirect way when yes bank was under moratorium right so suddenly the yeah. upi systems for yes bank every phone pay went down right and uh, just in general you know how you were talking about how financial services are a business of trust right and suddenly people were very skeptical about where they're going to park their money right because you yeah. can't access and yes bank has always been considered a highly reliable bank right and suddenly you can't access your money on yes bank and i remember i was in office and i was talking to colleagues and they were unable to like draw their salaries from the entire thing which they had the money they had parked over there and just that entire uncertainty it was it was actually scary to think about it Uh, luckily i did not have a yes bank account <laughs> i oh, see man. i see i for i see i see i for life but but yeah oh, yeah it's i think i think the, the whole systemic risk which we saw with yes bank is one thing which the which the rbi is trying to get rid of with that new umbrella entity in the payment space because nbci could also be a single point of failure and then you're right even on the institutional side you become too big to fail right we've seen the implications are too big to fail in the financial services market with lehman brothers bear stearns and but i think i understand the too big to fail conversation right uh, which started off that you know if even a single large entity fails this suddenly shocks across the ecosystem and you know there's there they like points of failures across across the space and uh, the to your point what you mentioned the nue thing right the new umbrella entities which which rbi is now allowing to be set up uh, like as parallel to the npci and i think i think another reason why that is happening is because the government has really toyed with the npci a lot 
by firstly the just like putting certain regulations up in place where it was like zero mdr and suddenly and because npci is not uh, is a non profit right they can so you know that that they've really toyed with the npci a lot and i think now they're like you know what maybe we should just let them set up a couple of competitors let the market take care of the entire situation rather than us us regulating it every now and then but yeah i definitely I think the first thing I want to ask you is that uh, this is something you've tweeted about quite often is that you currently reading or have recently finished the book Range, right, right, by David Epstein, right, you know, and uh, I also know that you're building the you that you know building the right product and engineering team is a core focus of yours leading into twenty twenty one, right, and you know keeping the generalist and specialist debate in mind as an early stage startup founder, what kind of a team do you envision Bima Pay to have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so when when you sort of start out with like an early stage team you try to make sure that it that you want to move fast but you also don't want to sacrifice quality so you try to look for people who meet the right now bill rather than the right bill so spending 6 months to find your next engineering hire probably will not work too well when you're a direct to consumer fintech right you have to move a bit faster So one of the things you sort of try to look for is, uh, is this a person whom you feel if the company explodes at scale will be will has like this one core skill which the organization can always benefit from, right? So this is what people describe as a T-shaped person. So you're fairly good with a number of skills. So you can work at an early stage company, right? You've got a baseline of knowledge across a couple of things. But then there's one real vertical where you are an absolute pro or maybe close to being a pro and if the company scales you can focus on that one thing which you're a pro at and that's one lens you'd probably take when you're structuring that early product engineering organization the the other thing is uh, you'll obviously come across a lot of people great pedigree etc etc but you do want to also optimize for the person who's almost got the profile is hungry wants to learn and i've typically found like those sort of people work incredibly hard and tend to overachieve and one of the reasons for it is an early stage startup journey is a little like brownian motion and not like a straight line so you want to have people who also wandered around a little bit in their in their career so they're comfortable with this whole ups and downs mix and match of a startup journey So we have some engineers who are probably right now responding to email support tickets from customers. You know, a Google engineer may not want to do that, right? Because they say, "No, I want to write code. I want to write elegant code. I only write elegant code." Probably not going to work if you're a direct-to-consumer fintech company. That's that's just the one thing I would say, right? Is is look beyond you know someone's sort of GitHub repository. Look beyond where they've worked. just try to see how they are as a person so if you're recruiting give people written tasks to do so at bima pay we start out you know after after seeing whatever nonsense they send us in an email which we don't wait a lot we ask them to fill in like a 10 minute survey form which allows us to learn a little bit about who they are as a person what they do in their free time how have they responded to feedback in the past have they given any on feedback in the past Uh, you know, a new skill that they've picked up. How do they teach themselves? 
that just gives you a feel of what kind of soft skills they have for the workplace. And the final step after you know doing that that video interview with the team, right? So not just me, but pretty much the whole team, is to then put them through a actual assignment. So if it's an engineering thing, you give them like a take-home assignment, give them a certain amount of time. But I cannot emphasize like how important it is for every hire you put through in the first 10 to 15 people to be not only someone who's technically qualified, but also someone who you're really comfortable spending like a solid 13 to 14 hours a day with. Because if you find them annoying for whatever reason, or you feel they're like a toxic person in the workplace, right? you've just killed the company at the start itself. Absolutely. That's a long winded answer, but we can we can jump into a couple more things in detail if you'd like. No, I think I think the first thing you mentioned about how a Google employee would not be comfortable working in such a scenario. And I think I think the one thing that comes to my mind over here is that, you know, uh I mean it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty indirect example. It's an indirect example, but if you look at data science, right? I think the anyone who actually practices data science, they'll tell you that 80% of data science is just cleaning the data, right? Because you're going to get data mm-hmm. from various places. You can have to clean that information and then, you know, you can process that and actually get valuable insights from that. And I think that 80% that cleaning the data, that is, that is, that is something that isn't theoretical, that is practical in nature, right? If you've been around to a couple of places, you, you pick that skill up, you know, if you've worked as an engineer in, in a, a variety of places at early stage places before, so you know that, you know, things will never be organized. Things will be chaotic in nature, but you just have to adjust to that chaos and, you know, flow with it rather than, you know, keep fighting yeah. it and, you know, just be always be that, not be able to, you know, just mold yourself when it comes to a situation of the sorts. I think that's yeah. what matters. I think that's what you're trying to look for, right? You want to look for the yeah. people who are able to mold with the situation, mold with the ups and downs, and then, you know, just keep moving forward of the sorts. Yeah, exactly. So I think within the company, we describe this as we're looking for a systems-focused engineer, not a process-focused engineer. And what we mean by systems-focused engineer is you're willing to get in there when there is no system, create the system, right? So whether it's creating the database architecture, understanding the customer's job to be done, the company's objective, and deciding how to structure whatever piece of internal architecture you're working on, right? Whether it's the usage data, whether it's the developer logs. And if you're willing to get in there, build a system and help other people understand why your system makes sense, early stage is the perfect place to be, right? Because it's high ownership. I wouldn't say high pressure, but high pain because you're building zero to one. But if you're a process person who likes to say, okay, I want to have someone clean the data for me, give me the data in this format. I want to then run the models on it. Probably later stage company or maybe established company is the way to go. And there are different kinds of people, right? People at different points, their career would also be at different places in that spectrum. I think, yeah, I think if you're, I think if you're, if you're young and if you're young, you're hungry, you can work in that uh, early stage. But as you, like, you know, when that age factor pops in, you want more security, more stability, I think. So, yeah, I think there are a couple of trade-offs you look at, you know, when it comes to people and, you know, companies look at when it comes to people and people when they look at companies. Yeah. And 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 the same thing has also happened, right? So, you, you have what, what people in the industry would call a late bloomer. So, it's someone in their mid to late 40s who's worked at big companies all through, now right. is financially secure. 
Right. And now wants like ownership to build a tech stack from the ground up. I've seen this in previous roles, and it's an interesting mix. Right? That's the kind of person who maybe cannot work a hundred hours a week because of family commitments, but maybe is so experienced that they can make up for the sort of quantity of time with really high quality work. And I think at scale, like a Series A, Series B company, needs a nice mix of those kinds of people. See the aggressive ones and the you know, structure, process, been there, done that kind of person. Absolutely, absolutely, that makes sense. Absolutely, uh, you know, Rahul. Uh, let's talk about you in general now, right? So you know, I think you're as old as I, I am, and you know, you're already breaking barriers and crossing thresholds when it comes to being an entrepreneur. You know, so. What have been your biggest lessons on this entrepreneurial journey so far, and what advice do you have for other aspiring Indian artists? Oh yeah, I, I've thought about this one a fair bit. I think the the first thing I'd say is, especially if you're a younger entrepreneur like me, you've probably used to being a team contributor, or in my case, an individual contributor. So I've always written code, built models, done stuff independently. All of a sudden, you're now part of, you're actually running a team. And the independent contributor mindset is if if work exists, go there and do it yourself. Whereas the manager mindset is if work exists, can someone, someone else in the team do it? Right. Yeah, delegate it to someone. Right? And delegate based on what Andy Grove calls task-relevant maturity. So if someone hasn't done it before, show them how to do it once, show them how to do it twice. As they get a grip of it, outsource it to them, right? You want to focus on more what people would, would call like the strategic stuff. Um, I don't know how what's, what strategy really means at the early stage because you're doing everything. But that whole thing of don't be ashamed. Uh, I, 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 kind, I take slight offense to that. I worked as a strategy associated two different startups, early stage startups, you know. I, I take offense to that, but moving oh, on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Yes, I, I think, I think if, if I'm in the, assuming I'm in the job market right now, I just want to say that even though Rahul has like completely like shat on my entire work so far, I'll just say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty suitable job candidate and, you know, I think, I think there's, there's a requirement for a strategy person at early stage startups, but moving along. Yeah, I, I'm fairly certain. I think it also depends on how on what kind of a company it is. Right? So if it's a neo bank, if it's you know slightly more uh, aggressive like lending company where where there are sort of I wouldn't say templates but past examples of go to market, having someone who can analyze that for the founding team, help them with that, super helpful, right? It's when you're in weird situations nice, like us nice, that no nice one's safe, done nice, this nice, before. Nice, <laughs> yeah. So save myself then. But number one, delegation. Right. And and don't be ashamed to delegate. It's like a it's a leverage on yourself. It's not you being incompetent. The the sort of second thing is also being aware of when stuff sort of exits the, the barriers of your skills, right? So I do not try to dabble day to day in sort of the core platform and engineering work because I know that persons on the team who are far more qualified than me. So you want to be armed with basic knowledge, but you also don't want to get too much into the weeds of what they're doing and give them a bit of flexibility, right? So it's, I think the nice way to summarize it is, is arm yourself with knowledge about what's going on in the company, but don't poke your nose into everything, right? 
give people that creative independence to go out and build stuff. The the third like lesson I have learned is uh, always try to learn right from customers. So in every conversation, in the early days, wherever you can, try to be the person who is running the customer interviews. See how they're interacting with your product, because. pretty much you are the most emotionally financially and in every other way vested into the company you will pick up on stuff that other people cannot pick up on and do not delegate like the talking to customers finding your first 100 customers that should 100% come from you or from your co-founders i guess normally people give three i might just add like one more and that's mainly because team on the podcast is like fairly younger founders with two of us discussing it you know people may may like shill or oh, it's good to be 40 building your first company it's good to be 30 building your first company there's never really like the the right age right time to do something if you've got an idea go out there test it it's easy to do low cost testing and then decide right because you will not know whether the market timing is right which is what typically is a precursor to company success until you are in the damn market so one thing i can tell you is it's better to go out there try something for a few months if you got the financial buffer and then make a decision on whether you want to double down on it or explore something else so yeah, just uh get stuff done i would use uh, the other s word but i'm going to go with get stuff done as like the the final message for other people Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know that that makes sense quite a bit. Uh, I think the last thing I want to ask you is about Diva Pay in general. That you know, what's in next in store for us for twenty twenty one? What growth plans do you immediately see, or what what's in store for us immediately after, say, February, for example? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. So we're working towards like a fairly big milestone in uh, in March. and our three month roadmap is just like we made like a pretty fantastic we think it's fantastic customer saturdays i'm not saying absolutely absolutely it's fantastic you know? it was it's a fun experience with the whole know your card you know discovering the hidden insurance benefits there we're hoping to deliver the same thing across the board with different insurance products you have we've built something which still building it in house all the policy deconstruction algorithm which simplifies your insurance policy for you into its core components gives you the key action items that you can then share with your family in the case of an emergency we want to make sure that by march end we have that ready for a couple more insurance products and actually launch what we're building in stealth mode out into the public because we are also getting a bit frustrated fest like part stealth part out in the public that's probably the one thing you'll see from us by march is what we're actually trying to do an insurance simplified for you and your family and just get the product out of stealth mode man and then see where to go from there absolutely you know that's, that's amazing, amazing. and you know uh, i really hope that uh, we get to experience that product as soon as possible because uh, based on the offerings we have seen so far from you up i think we have exciting things in store for all of us and uh, you know thank you so much for joining us today rahul we wish you and bima pay the best the very best for the future thank you so much everyone for joining us for this episode the uh, nerd podcast is available on youtube apple music spotify and google podcast be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook to receive all updates on the upcoming episodes we'll see you in the next one thank you